everyone. Welcome to Everyman BJJ, a weekly show covering MMA and BJJ news and training tips. Good afternoon, Frank. Welcome to another episode of Everyman BJJ podcast. Um, Frank Carreri, Frank Forza, Super Strong, and Noah. Um, it's already the, you know, according to my calendar, the 40, 43rd uh, week of the year. And we started this podcast series off in uh, mid-December, December 15th, actually. So this is, we're right at 10 months into this experience. And we didn't start this podcast with any intention uh, or, or any foresight as to where we would be a year from then. So, um, you know, it's quite remarkable uh, just the change um, that we've, you know, that at least that I've seen in a year um, that, that's gone by. You know, almost a quarter million Americans have perished in, in this uh, pandemic. And I don't mean to start this show or start this episode off on a down note. But it's really humbling. Um, it's really humbling to to consider how nature uh, and how just what you know how vicious reality can be uh, in in our lives. Um, you know, you take. I think before now, you I, I would have taken for granted just going out to Starbucks, getting a cup of coffee. Uh, sitting there for a little bit, enjoying it, and maybe going shopping or something and then coming back. Now we got to wear a mask and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I got to tell you, every time I wear a mask, I feel tension in my body. Um, it's because it, it, not, not that I'm uh, reacting, like, not that I have any issues really with wearing a mask, but there's some kind of the body kind of holds tension a lot of times. And um, I'm going to throw out a little, no, drop a little knowledge to you, Frank. Frank, what's the most powerful muscle in your body? Take a guess. You might know now, this. I, I was told, well, years ago, I came across information that suggested that it was the tongue, that pound for pound or ounce per ounce the human tongue is like crazy strong. It's and and so that's my guess would be the tongue, the human tongue. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know about maybe maybe ounce for ounce. You know, uh, from from that perspective, it's it's uh, it's definitely you know like a Conor McGregor level powerful pound for pound. But actually, that you know when we do jujitsu and we and, and this is how this relates to jujitsu by the way is we hold a lot of tension right here in our jaws okay and if you'll if i can if you can humor me real quick take a, just feel your this muscle right here on your jaws now i know mine's well coated with this beard of mine but this muscle right here this big muscle right here that's called the masseter that's called the masseter uh, muscle and it connects through this a little spot right here up here 
called the zygomatic arch. And if you touch, if you press into that, which if you've ever done jujitsu, you pressed into your buddy's jaw like that. That's how you get, that's how you get them to move their jaw over. That zygomatic arch where the masseter muscle connects is very tender. And I notice that when I'm wearing a mask, I feel a lot of tension right there um, where the masseter muscle, which is the most powerful muscle in your body, by the way, where it connects, because it connects to your bones right there at the zygomatic arch. Now I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask you, or I'll tell you another little piece of trivia. This muscle, um, just on your molars, uh, contributes up to 50 pounds of pressure. Now on your incisors, up to 200, you know, up to 200. You know, we were designed to rip flesh. But um, I will throw out another uh, question for you. How much uh, pounds per square inch do you think a cougar with this incisors, how much do you think it would, it would give well, gosh, a cougar? I've heard that alligators are, are well into the thousands, so I'm going to say that a cougar is uh, let's just say four thousand four thousand not that large it's 350. a hyena is supposedly the most with a thousand pounds with it with this with this job they've tested it somehow uh but i researched on the just quick search on on online cougars mountain lions they can exert 350 pounds so the best we can do is 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 two hundred in our incisors for the if, average? If if it's if theirs is three hundred and fifty pounds per square inch of bite, but then the question is how sharp are those teeth? Because you could have you could have something that's super sharp that bites into you at a hundred whatever pounds per square inch. Like it could have less power, but when you're dealing with a sharper blade or a sharper tooth, like a shark. I mean, a shark. Could probably bite you at a fraction of right. It could just nub, nub you with its teeth, right? Just nub you, not even trying to hurt someone. And yeah. you know, you could be ripped to ripped apart, like the, the, the gash. So it's 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 the combination of that that biting power plus what kind of silverware or toothware are they are they working with? Oh yeah, and you know, sharks have disposable teeth. They have rows and rows, like built up like this. Sharks have like built up rows and rows of teeth that are meant to fall out, and they grow more. So they're just—they are, yeah. Sharks are really scary predators. I mean, they are. The thing that makes a mountain lion. So I mean, let's imagine if you had a dog that was attacking you, right? A particularly strong breed of dog that was attacking a bigger dog, you know, a pit bull, a Dalmatian, a German Shepherd, whatever. Um, you're mainly dealing if you're if if a dog attacks you, you're mainly dealing with jaws. You're just dealing with the jaws. Their head is coming for you somewhere. It's going to bite your calf. It's going to bite your groin. It's going to you know jump at your neck. They're going to do most of all of their damage with their mouth when if you were dealing with a cougar with a mountain lion with something else out there you've got to deal with the claws i mean those claws are coming at you those are oh. so they're like 
those are like their jab, right? That's kind of like their jab. It's not going to probably, that's not going to, the claws are not going to kill you, but they're going to distract you and they're going to just maul you with that. And, and the terror that, you know, the other thing is a lot of things are preparation. When we train, those of us who train in the martial arts, we train for other humans, right? Other humans, a self-defense situation, tournament situations, training environments. We are training for other humans. We are used, we get accustomed to the ways in which mm -hmm. humans will try to attack us. And then look, we get accustomed to looking at people's bodies or feeling people's energies even and intuiting or feeling when we clash with them, perceiving what they want to do. If you get really experienced, you get good at feeling your opponent what they want to do. Even if you've never trained with them a day in your life, you can feel their intentions. You can feel what they're trying to do when you're really experienced, when you're really good. But when you throw in a big lion attacking you or whatever, uh, an animal in the wild, it's like, how many of us, you know, you, you just don't, what, how many days out of the calendar year do we train preparing for that? Like, you know, what, what in my whole brain, there's probably like, 90 minutes of what would you do if a cougar attacked you? Like just things that I've read, right? Real life practice. I have never been in a training environment where they, where we sat there day after day and we're like, this is what you do if you know. So it's a very foreign thing. It's a very theoretical foreign thing to think of an animal attacking you, let alone if you're in the water and something like an, an eel or a stingray or a shark, you know, now you're really out of your element where you can't move as well and you can't you can't you don't have full uses of all your senses because you you know you've only got certain senses and, and the person who might not be terrified on land right against another human could very easily be terrified in the wild with an animal in the ocean so really how much we just saw the video with the guy here in utah where i am and actually not very far. Those Provo Mountains are very close. I mean, that guy's within you know, less than 10 miles away from me is where that happened. And so when you see that, obviously the video is compelling. You got six minutes of video and the guys, you know, I don't know how the guy had the presence of mind. I mean, think about this. He runs across the, 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 the big cougars, the cubs, right? He runs across them at like five o'clock um, and he's on the trail. And I guess he's on the trail alone. And, then I guess he realizes that Mama Cougar isn't far by and she she makes a little cameo appearance, pokes her head and he's like, oh, man. So he's walking backwards. Right. Maybe he's had he kind of knows the do's and don'ts a guy who's a little bit outdoorsy. Uh, you know, he suggested he was good with a firearm. He's like, damn, where's my firearm? Right. I didn't I bring my firearm. So this is a guy that, you know, has been out and about a little bit, knows about the outdoors a little bit. And so. When, when he's when, when when for him to flip the camera and be like i want to film this like because at that moment you are there's a lot that goes through your head for him to have the friends just goes to, just goes to show you that younger generation right 22 25 19 the first thing they could think right is like oh wait a cougar is about to come at me it's pretty big i don't know what's going to happen next let me make sure i keep the camera rolling right only the, the these these 20 some year olds like our generation i can tell you this that's not going to occur to me all right i'm of a different generation not native i didn't grow up with a cell phone in my hand i'm thinking about you know and, and in fact when he throws the rock no when he's i think he might have thrown that rock sooner if he'd been less concerned about filming 
thing. <laughs> you know, I, 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 maybe we're seeing we're seeing this generation with with the uh, iPhones an evolution in human existence because uh, here, let me film my own death so that you will learn. <laughs> You know, oh. there's like some strand of DNA in us. It's like, here, let me record how I die so that somehow it'll be played for future generations. If I was of survivors, I, I, I've been, a, you know, I was a journalist for many years. I still do some freelance journalism. And one of my top 10 questions to him would be, okay, why was it so important to keep the camera rolling? Like, what what is it in you? You know, do you have a film background? What what do you do? It's 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 an incredible and compelling video. So it's it's viral. That thing will run for years and years and years. He can build a brand around it um, if if he likes. Um, but again, it begs it does beg the question: if a cougar, if a cougar, like when we look at like okay, top five things to do if a cougar is stalking you on a trail at 5 15 p.m um is holding first your thing phone, is holding your cell phone one of those does that help your cause right? <laughs> no this um, is this, this is like a or hinder your cause this is like holding a um you know this is this is a this is a you know like in um uh, what is that the uh 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 Exorcism. I'm holding a cross in front of me. <laughs> Cougar, this is a cross. And I wonder, th this may sound like a foolish this question. This is a talisman. But I wonder if that influenced the tiger because the guy was saying, right? I mean, the, 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 the cougar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was saying, like, okay, stand big, stand tall, right? That's one of the things you read when they say, like, you know, if a cougar or something confronts you there, Stand big. Make yourself look big. Well, if you have a cell phone, you can't really, you can't Conor McGregor project, right? You can't like. I, I can't walk like that either. Schwarzenegger <laughs> in his prime, right? Schwarzenegger in his prime, like that level of like, you know, make yourself big, make yourself look threatening, make yourself look menacing, intimidate the cougar. I don't know how intimidating. It's kind of harder to be intimidating when you've got your cell phone there. And even with the, what's interesting is even the eye contact, right? So from some of the stuff I've read preliminarily. Oh my God. But preliminarily, you're supposed to like keep your eyes on the cougar. Part of that is if, I guess if it pounces at you, you got to be ready. I wonder if the eye contact itself in, tends to keep them at bay and, and keep enough, keep enough fear in the, mountain lion or the cougar and if that's the case if the eyes play a role in this dance this dance with the cougar then i would argue that having your cell phone out is a distraction because it distracts the lion like away from your eyes in some ways if you're just like all in on like hey i'm putting a hundred percent of my energy on this cougar i'm going to be ready i'm looking at him i'm making myself big when you throw that that cell phone in the mix the monkey wrench when the cell phone becomes so important like like this guy's list the guy who's filming god bless that he's alive right it seems like on his list number one thing was let me try to survive this number two thing let me make sure i film it like that's not in my top five man like and you know i had a i had a, a mountain lion incident we, we can talk about um you did all that we can talk about that but i did find that i'm happy that the guy got out of there 
Um, I do quite a bit of hiking. I love that. So it hits close to home. I've had an experience, not not nearly as chill as that, but I had an experience with a mountain lion up in the Santa Monica Mountains that we can talk about. So this actually hits close to home. And, you know, imagine if you'd had your kids or, you know, you'd had, I mean, imagine you could be out there. What, what also is interesting is I wonder, like little things like, so let's say you go hiking in, in these mountains and it's getting close to dusk, right? And dusk mm-hmm. sometimes when, you know, that some of the some of the wildlife will come out and you might see a, a cougar or mountain lion once in a real yeah. moon. And by the way, the BYU here in Provo, near where that that trail is, it's the the the, the name is the Brigham Young Cougars. That's the name. So it's known that there are cougars. Oh. So they just beat my they just beat my alma mater in football last week, yeah. by the way. Cougar versus Cougar, by the way. Yeah, it really. Yeah, my, yeah, alma mater, University of Houston Cougars and BYU Cougars. It's a, it's Cougar squared. So we got we got the Cougar theme. So we're at about four thousand feet here, just at street level. If you walk around the street level, you're at you're at four thousand feet altitude, right? You don't right. you don't really. You get up into those mountains and you're not even you're not even high up. You could easily be six thousand. Well, you're starting to get in territory where there's interesting wildlife out there, right? You're at six thousand feet. And mm. what's interesting is I always wonder if the chances, and I bet you there's research on this, and I bet you that that we we could probably answer this. The fewer people there are on a trail at a certain time, maybe the odds go up. Like if there's if there's a heavily traveled trail, right, on a Sunday afternoon. And a lot of people are walking that trail. The odds that you're going to see a mountain lion probably go down. They hear the noise. They hear the footsteps. They hear people talking. And I think that, you know, again, conjecturing, but that probably discouraged them. If you're there at five something and you see these little baby cougars, the mama cougar, probably you're, that trail's not that busy. So, you know, the, the cougars aren't hearing anything. They're thinking that everything's fine, too, because they probably don't want to encounter Right. So what's interesting, though, Noah, is that. So what I was saying about that is if you're out hiking, like if I felt like I have the trail completely to myself and I was in a place there might be cougars, that might be something to plan for. It's a long shot. It's a long shot. But you might be aware that if you're on the trail at five or six p.m., mm-hmm. place where there are known cougar sightings and you're not seeing anybody and you feel like you have it to yourself, maybe be a little more aware Versus if there's a lot of people there, then the odds are that these animals yeah. are a steady stream of people. They don't want to, you know, there's four people, whatever. I mean, you know, they're not, they're not looking for trouble like that. So that's one thing to be aware of. This is, this was, um, this is what I was um, thinking about also with it. Like, you know, the uh, stuff that I read was that that cougar was not actually that some of the experts were saying the cougar was not actually trying to like it wasn't trying to kill him. It didn't really want to hurt him. I guess it was trying to scare him. Did you read anything to that effect? No, I didn't get into it that far. Uh, you probably went a little further, but it was terrifying to me the way that cruger would it's just walk. It was just like, you know, in a in a walking along there after him. And then you see its front paws get up and like this. And, you know, it, it to me that would look like more of an intimidation move, you know, like a, a a nature just trying to say, get the hell out of here, but don't be don't be a a ball of yarn and take off running because that'll you know 
the 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 prey instinct and that cougar would get get going. So if if I think I feel like if the guy would have turned and ran, then that cougar would have been like, it's on, you know, just because of the prey instinct. But I I do think that his aside from aside from wanting to record his own death, um, I I think that his uh, approach of just keep backing up and keep moving and making noise um, of some sort was helpful. I mean, I would have been throwing rocks. I would have been throwing more rocks than. This is the thing that I that the, there's little things that I came away with. One is that throwing a rock at an animal or a human, it's like a universal language. Like everybody understands you just threw a rock at me, right? Like in any language, in any species <laughs> throughout the animal kingdom, everybody understands like, dang, he just threw a rock at me. I mean, because once he throws that rock, that cougar is, I mean, just bolts like like the the fear of whatever is in that cougar and yeah it begs the question like i said when you're sitting there with your cell phone it begs the question like at what point do you have a, so when i had my incident i'll, I'll talk about the, the the mountain lion incident in santa monica um when i was there so i was like it was roughly the same time maybe like five something six ish santa monica mountains beautiful place surprisingly weren't that many people on the trail kind of felt like I had it to myself for different, you know, long periods of time. And I came across a tree. So it was a big trail. This wasn't the narrow trail. This was a big trail. And there was a huge tree, like arching trees, you know, like there's a big tree on this side, there's a big tree on this side. And then, you know, it's like an arching tree, like something scenic where there's this huge tree where these trees are meeting each other and just huge. Okay. So you're coming up across that. And I look in the distance, probably like, you know, a hundred yards or, or so might've been a little more. And I see this, the like silhouette of like, like, damn, that is like, whoa, like that, you know, my human instinct, whoa, that looks like it's a big, like cat. Right. And so I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer and see, you know, whoa, that like, that's a, that is a, like, I am, that is a mountain lion. Right. Like, and I've never seen that. So your first thing is like, you know, it's, it's like, whoa, and so I see it and it's there. It's not walking straight. I just see it like walk across the, the, the trail and I think it stopped and then it di disappeared. It mm -hmm. disappeared. So it didn't walk at me on the trail. It didn't run at me. It didn't look at me. It was like doing its own thing, like 100, 120 yard, 130 yard. It does its own thing. And then it looked like it stopped, but it stopped kind of near the tree. So now I'm thinking that's my way back to my car. That's the only way that I know back. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm pretty sure that that is like, that's a mountain lion. And it just disappeared. It just vanished. And there's this huge tree cover there. Where did it go? Is it, is it, you know, on the side of the tree? Is it up in some branches? Where did it go? That really messed with my mind. If I had been able to see it, like, let's just say I could still see it, that would have been a little more comforting in some ways, as long as it wasn't coming at me. If I could still be like, okay, it's there, I'm going to do whatever. But what, what freaked me out a little bit was like, I don't see it anymore. And then I'm like that. Now I'm thinking I'm not an expert on mountain lion behavior. I haven't researched that. And I was thinking, okay, how do mountain lions operate? If they want to attack you, does he like hang out in the tree and then you come under the tree and then he just jumps from the tree? I don't know, right? Like a horror movie, like, <laughs> like how does the 
mountain lion operate if it wants to mess with you? What does it do? Right. And then I'm testing my eyes, like trying to look in the tree from afar. Like I can't see it. I'm like, where is the mountain lion? He's probably in the tree. Like lion, cats like trees. He's probably, or it is probably in the tree. Right. Now the question is, if it's in the tree, is it paying attention to me? Is it going to pay attention to me? Is it going to jump out of the tree? I don't know. I'm just asking myself these questions. So my, my first thing, of course, was like, okay, I'm not walking closer to, the, to that part of the trail. I'm stopping. I'm stopping where I am right now. And I'm going to like mentally calculate, play a little chess game. Like, what am I going to do? And instinctively, so I had a tape recorder because I walk and I record things. I think for anybody out there watching creatively, it's a great time. Yeah, it's a great time to turn off right? To just turn off the world and empty yourself. But it's also a great time if thoughts come to you, you have the voice recorder there and ready to go. So I had this little recorder. So I had like different, you know, whatever songs, whatever there. So I was just, what I start instinctively did is I started talking in the recorder and like talking loud and in a deep voice. I don't know why instinctively, but I thought, maybe a deep voice will project power even across the species. Like maybe, maybe a big cat or a mountain lion or a dog understands that deep bear, that deep bass or baritone. Maybe they understand that. Right. Versus some squeaky high, no offense to Mike Tyson, who's an incredible guy, but a Mike Tyson voice or a Michael Jackson voice. I'm, if they did research, I'm just going to assume that that voice is not going to intimidate the lion as much as a deep, like, baritone very white like voice used in the right way so instinctively i start as loud as i can like in a loud voice like i'm speaking now louder i'm like let's just be loud and manly like manly deep voice let's just do that for a little bit let's pick up the biggest rock that we can find right <laughs> look for some kind of like some kind of like big you know um big piece of wood or a big branch or something like that. Let's take a look and see what's available. Instinctively, you look at the terrain around you and you say, is there any weaponry in my vicinity? Then I, of course, had the, the, the mental debate. Can I turn around? And is there another way? Do I know another way to get back to where I want to go? How well do I know this trail? How much time do I have before it gets completely dark? How far would it take me like, to go to the circuitous route? And mm -hmm. I decided there that I didn't know that area well enough to do that. that. That No, the only way that I knew. So I was like, that's not an option. I have to go back that way. So I waited like probably 25, 30, 35 minutes. And I did, and like you were saying, I did not run through there, right? I did not. This guy was jogging. And, and that, you know, that can, that can surprise animals too because when you're jogging, not only, like you said, does that instinctually, like, can bring out the instinctual instincts in an animal to be aggressive, especially if your back is turned to them. It just makes it, it makes it play. It makes it a chase. It makes it more interesting for them. But also, you can creep up on an animal quicker. You know, if you're just walking and that animal can hear you in the distance or hear you talking or singing or whatever, the animal can easily retreat and get out of there. And you don't even know that they're there because they have preparation. But if you're running, then you might be more likely to surprise the animal. The animal doesn't have time to prepare for you coming into its, its terrain. So, of course, I walked through there very gingerly. But so I, I did. I made it through there. And that was that was my only encounter. I have encountered a deer like 
really close to a deer before on a trail. Never encountered a diamond, a, a, a rattlesnake. I always thought living out west for the last 20 years, you know, I know friends that have encountered rattlesnakes just in the distance. They didn't step on it or anything. I did encounter a big spider in Missouri when I moved, first moved cross country. When I first moved cross country and I drove it, I had this Honda, this Honda Civic that was like, you know, 285,000 miles on it. And it was on its last legs. And it actually broke down on me in Colorado, 9,000 some feet, Denver, uh. a mile high city, which was, we were higher than a mile high, right? A mile high would be 5,000 some feet. We were like 9,000 some feet and old Betsy just didn't like that. It overheated, had to wait there and take care of that. But anyway, I was in Missouri and I was in like, a you know, I don't, I don't I always don't want to say the chain because I don't want to make them impugn them, but, but uh, like, you know, the cheapest hotel chain motel chain you can get right like 30 bucks a night so i get in there it's like 1 a.m and i see this man it was it was huge it was a huge little spider like that and again i've never seen a tarantula i don't know if it was a tarantula the closest thing i could equate it with because it was so big and that's you know an, an inordinate amount of furs i'm like well it looks to me tarantula-esque right tarantula-esque and, and it freaked me out, of course, because I'm tired. And so same thing. I see that spider and then I don't see the spider. And I'm like, you know, like, oh, hell no. <laughs> You're messed up. There's an impossibility to go to sleep with that thing lurking around. You are not, you know, if you, if you saw a mouse and then you didn't see it, you could go to bed. You know, I, when I was younger, we had mice in the house. Unfortunately, we lived in poor neighborhoods. We had mice. You had to get used. You were going to see a mouse on occasion. Like it was like, you know, if you were super clean, your neighbors weren't, you were going to see mice every once in a while. And you didn't mm -hmm. stay awake. Until you killed the mouse. You just, you know, you watched your feet and you just like, okay, you know, you put out a trap and maybe you'd, maybe you'd catch the mouse a week or two later. But you're going to go to sleep probably without that mouse. You know, that mouse is lurking. You're not going to sleep when you see the biggest spider of your life. I was like, all right. And so then I'm thinking, Noah, again, man versus this unknown, right? Like this is like this is like this is like Marcelo Garcia for me, like, but it's a spider, right? It's like this is a this is a big deal. So I'm like, so then I'm thinking, okay, when I find the spider and I get close to it, I don't know how fast it is. I'm gonna assume that it's venomous. It's probably not, right? Most of them aren't. But let's just make the assumption that it's a venomous spider, right? I don't think tarantulas are actually venomous, so I don't, and I don't think it was actually a tarantula. But let's just say it was in that ilk. It's like, okay, the odds are it probably wasn't venomous, but I'm not going to make the assumption that it's. I'm gonna when I see a spider, I'm going to assume first and foremost that it's venomous, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, we're making the assumption that it's venomous. Now let's. How fast is it? Because you know when you get close to an insect or a fly or a bee or whatever it is you're trying to, you know, you're targeting it, you're trying to get rid of it. And the X factor is, well, how quick is this, right? I've seen bees. I mean, I've seen uh, flies that I've killed with a swatter that were slow, you know? And then I've seen them where they were super agile and you had to be really on your game and really quick and really like sneaky to get them, right? You see some of those flies like darting. It's like, this is the, this is the Usain Bolt of flies and he's in your house. So I was thinking, well, okay, this spider, I don't know how fast he is. And that's the X factor piece. I'm like, I get one swing in him, right? I got my shoe. I got the best thing I can. I got the, I got my shoe 
But if I miss him, what's he going to do? I don't know. Again, I'm not an expert on spider behavior. You know, he's going to go find another another place or is he what does he crawl on me? I don't know. Right. So my my assumption was the spider's venomous. I'm not going to sleep before we get that spider. And he could be very or she could be very quick. And I'm probably getting one swing, like make it count. Like you're getting, you see it, you're getting one, you know, you better, you better be on your game. You know, you can't, you can't strike out on that one. Cause then, you know, then he grows off somewhere else, some hard spot. So anyway, I wind up getting him or getting that spider, killing him with, um, with my shoe. But then again, the other question is, well, are there more spiders, right? Is that the only spider? So in any event, What's interesting about these things is that even, you know, you're still doing a lot of the things you do in jujitsu. You're playing that chess game. You're doing that calculus in your head. You're trying to account for it. Um, and you're, you're facing the unknown because you're not, you know, you, you don't, you came into a situation where you didn't expect, you didn't expect a spider. You didn't expect a cougar. You didn't expect a mountain lion in the distance. And, the one good thing I would say that really that um that, that, that comes out of this, like the guy with his videotape, it I mean, anybody out there now, you're realizing, I don't think that this cougar is an anomaly. You're realizing that if you're if you're pretty accurate with a good sized rock, the odds are that that, you know, you throw a rock or two, the odds are that cougar is gonna turn around, you know, um, as long as you're facing it and you're looking big. I, I think the odds are probably pretty good now. You get a good size rock whiz at them, they're gone because they're scared too, right? They're scared. They don't know. And the other thing, right. the other thing that'd be interesting with cougars is, I think cougar behavior would be different depending on different humans. You have some big guy like you who's less afraid or who's more, you know, who's who's more assertive, deeper voice. Again, an apple is not an apple. It's it's apples to oranges. Sometimes some people. Little kid, easy prey for a cougar, different cougar behavior. Cougar, you know, uh, John Jones or or Brock Lesnar and, you know, looking at, I mean, different behavior probably from the cougar, right? Like the, 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 this is, this is kind of like quantum physics where what are you looking at? What is being observed depends upon the observer. What is that mountain lion's behavior? Depends on the human's behavior, Right. That was one thing that it kind of reinforced for me is that, you know, the, 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 believe it or not, when I watched that, Noah, I came away with a with our odds as humans. If we do the right things, our odds against that cougar are better than we thought. They're better than oh, we yeah. thought. We have. Let me jump in here. Yeah. Let me jump in here real quick or a little bit for um, for me to uh, uh, kind of pivot the conversation. Um um, we can go back to the cougar story if you want. Sure. Uh, but I was, you know, I, as you're speaking, um, but more so, I, I just finished a, um, you know, uh, New York Public Library, uh, phenomenal um, library system. Mm -hmm. And I bring them up because, uh, you know, I've lived and worked in New York City for 20 years. And um, this gets into a little bit of situational awareness. I started listening to audiobooks. Um, I want to say 2000. Before Audible uh, was really big, you know, I would take uh, cassettes and CDs and I would burn them into uh, MP3 files before digital rights management came out. 
and I would put them on and it, so I would listen to them, listen to books because you're traveling a lot. You can't, you can't have a paper copy in front of you looking at it. Believe me, I prefer to read paper copy. Um, but I also find that, you know, you can get a lot more done listening and reading uh, uh, or listening than you can reading. Um, although our brain does not treat it the same way. Like our brain does not encode uh, that experience the same way. Um, but uh, so I've, I developed a strong habit of listening to audiobooks. And I want to share, uh, you know, New York Public Library, I've been uh, in my time of being more frugal. I cut back on my audible.com uh, 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 subscription um I used to get like two books a month for 20 something bucks um, or audio books. And I cut it back to just one. And I, and now I'm just using those credits, those monthly credits for, um, you know, like really. I keep myself going most of the time with what I, what I can uh, borrow out of the uh, public library system, New York public library. And I just finished, uh, I just finished a book. Uh, because I don't know much about it, um, but because of this podcast and really deepening my 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 knowledge in 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 the in the sports, uh, I listened to a book. Uh, let me get the name of it. I think I sent you a. I think I sent you an image of it the other day. Oh yeah, it's called Striking Distance. Bruce Lee and the Dawn of Martial Arts in America. And um, I finished it up. It was like seven, seven and a half hours. And, um, you know, it talks about, it talks about the uh, uh, Chinese and Chinese-American experience uh, in the 20th century. And, um, and this whole concept of, of why, uh, you know, the Chinese were very hesitant to share their, their martial arts uh with with foreigners or with non-chinese or even non-asians and um it was it was a great listen it was a great listen i want to uh, just mention that book that audio book um let me uh i'll even throw up a quick uh image of it if i can up there um but i uh i want to bring it up because you know as you're speaking about sizing up your opponent and what would be like a, a monster to me, you know, I thought about how like Bruce Lee would go out and he would be, um, you know, he, he put on a lot of courage and a lot of confidence in his abilities. And I'm kind of looking through that with another thought that I'm having, which is as I start to get prepared to compete in IBJJF competitions again, what would be my what would be my wildest animal to go up against? And uh, the only thing I can think of is would be an ex wrestler. I think for intimidation factor for me is not someone who's really highly skilled at jujitsu, but a but a former wrestler, because they can dominate the match so much. Uh, they can dominate. They can just dominate it. And so. Um, what tools do you, do you think I can use? What tools do you think I can use 
uh, in preparing to go up against what would be my, you know, my nightmare scenario, which, because I don't know, you know, I, I won't know the background of the person when I step on the mat with them. I bow, you know, you know, I give respect to the, to the referees, the judge and, and my opponent. And, you know, that's probably the first time I'm meeting them. Um, and so to me, my worst case scenario, I think is a wrestler. Yeah. So let's I want to know see. what your thoughts are. Good, a good starting place. So let's let's set the, the, the scenario. So the mm-hmm. scenario is we all at different points of our journey, if we're a wrestler, if we're into jiu-jitsu, if we're into cage fighting, we all have opponents. Even the most confident people have opponents where they look at and they're like, wow, that person would be a tough matchup. That person, I'm going to have to dig deep to deal with that kind of person. There are uh-huh. people out there now who just watched the kid last night, the kid Lopez, to a female, you know, female Lopez who just beat Lomachenko last night. Shocked a lot of people beating kid. Kids only only had 15 pro fights in boxing, just beat Lomachenko. Now Lomachenko only has only like 16 and two, so both of them are phenomenal. Still very early in their careers. Kid Lopez is 23. And, you know, you've got to look, you know, a lot of people didn't know who Lopez is, but I'll guarantee you there are a lot of veteran fighters out there who saw him even before this and thought, wow, that kid's going to be really good. And that kid's a handful already. That kid brings, and same with Lomachenko. Lomachenko, when he had, Lomachenko's only got 18 pro fights. When Lomachenko had seven or eight pro fights, there were pros like, wow. Not sure I want to fight him, or if I fight him, he's going to be a load. He's going to be a lot. So we all, those of us, we're in the business of self-analysis and honest, honest self-analysis. We have to be honest and say, the there are there. Every one of us has an Achilles heel. We all have weaknesses. We all have off days. We all have styles that give us problems in boxing. Sometimes people are phenomenal against conventional fighters. Those are fighters that lead with their left leg and their left hand, and they are have a hard time dealing with southpaws. Someone who leads with the right, just that little tweak throws a lot of good boxers off. Oh, God, I'm fighting a southpaw. Oh, throws them off. Everything is different. I have to move different. And so this awareness of, okay, we all have hard opponents that are going to be a harder to handle, or... Sometimes we might even think, oh, my goodness, like you have a guy like um, like uh, what's his name uh, in, in Russia, the Russian uh, wrestler, um, Alexander Carolyn, you know, who was like 880 and two losses in his career, right? Three Olympic gold medals. You had to face him, you know, 280 pound Siberian guy who before the Rocky movies, this guy was running in snow literally up to his navel he's running through snow and doing all these crazy things and and he's not going to get tired like that guy's a nightmare like in the imagination of most of his opponents if you mark alexander carolyn in his prime and he's your opponent and he's on the calendar you're you're thinking somewhere this is a nightmare this guy could slam me on my head end my career alter my life this guy can pick you up you can be sprawled on the ground dead weight he will pick you up like a bag of, you know, of potatoes and drop you. And if you land on your neck, he doesn't care, right? So that's a nightmare in a lot of people's mind. So let's go with, okay, 
There's the scenario. What's the solution? Frank, how do I? Mike Tyson is your, your future opponent or Conor McGregor. Somebody that you're like, wow. Uh, you know, some part of you is like, I really don't want to face them. Maybe some part of you. Yes, there's these super competitors who want to face everybody. But we're talking about like real world. There is some part of even GSP would talk about this where you're like, remember, um, GSP or Anderson Silva in, in the speaking of Bruce Lee, Anderson Silva has a documentary. I think it's called Like Water. Right. Bruce Lee used to always say, be Bruce like Lee. water. Yeah. Great, great, great Asian Eastern Eastern philosophers talking about water and the fluidity of water and how water can adapt to all these things. Well, the Anderson Silva documentary, I think it's called Like Water. Before it's the Bruce first Lee. Yeah. Yeah. But but the Anderson Silva documentary is called Like Water. So he before the first fight with Chael Sonnen, they've got all the cameras on Anderson Silva and he's on camera saying, I just want to go back home. I just want to go to Brazil. Before the fight. Wow. Dale Sonnen, before the first fight, has like 10 or 11 losses. Okay, Anderson Silva hadn't lost in years. I think he, you know, he went on to win like whatever, 18, 16 in a row, 18 in a row, title defense is something crazy. And here he is before this Chael Sonnen fight. He's got a chance to shut Chael Sonnen up. He's on another level that Chael Sonnen is not on. Chael Sonnen had never been champion. And he's got to fight Chael Sonnen, and he's saying, I want to go home. I just want to go back to Brazil. I just want to be with my family. Before the fight, like a week during the fight, he's saying that. His brain is messing with him a little bit, right? So there's something in there, which is he he had 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 a rib injury. He was just thinking kind of like a lot of people, why am I doing this? What if I were to lose to this guy? How could I live with myself? This guy's insulted Brazil. What if I lost to him? I think I'm going to crush him. I think I'm going to destroy him. But there's a part of your brain that's like, well, what if I lost to this guy, right? That's what Luke Rockhold said that when he lost to Michael Bisping, right? He, he was messing around. His hands were low. And then Bisping came in, blip, blip, and then put, put Rockhold out. And Rockhold said after the fight, he said, the worst thing about it is not losing. It wasn't getting knocked out. It's that I got to listen to Michael Bisping the rest of my life. Like, he got the last word. He gets to run his mouth. And... Chael Anderson, I imagine, was like thinking the same thing with Chael Sonnen. Like, man, I cannot lose to this guy. That puts more pressure on you. That puts more pressure than a normal fight when you're thinking, I cannot lose to him. I will let all of Brazil down. I will never hear the end of it. I will. He, this guy will be in front of microphones. It will just be, it. you know, I cannot lose to this guy. So there's pressure on him before that fight. How do we navigate that? That's the thing. How do we, Noah has this. This nightmare opponent, we all have it at some point in our careers. Maybe once you're the elite champion, maybe you don't have a nightmare opponent. You just have tough matchups. But at some point when you're coming up, when you're a white belt, when you're a blue belt, when you're a purple belt, when you're questioning yourself, a lot of times like, am I out of my league? That's a normal thing. Am I out of my league? Can I really ever beat this person? This person's kind of a nightmare. I'm kind of scared to face this person. That's actually a normal thing. Okay, that's a, that's fairly normal. Ninety some percent of people are going to feel that. What I would say is when we talk about visualization, now there's a couple ways around that. One is if you have, no, you know, you think of your worst nightmare, your opponent. Well, if you're training in an environment that has some of your worst nightmares on a daily basis, right? If you're rolling with Robert Drysdale or you're rolling with Marcelo Garcia. No, you hit it. I think Robert Drysdale, a blue yeah. belt Robert Drysdale for me is my nightmare it, you know because he's got strong wrestling so if you if you're if you're training with nightmare opponents day in day out that mm-hmm. helps you overcome your fear 
of nightmare opponents. When your training partners at different points are kind of a nightmare, you're like, oh my goodness, this, this, this person, you know, those days when you're up and coming and you're just getting worked over and you know you're not going to beat that training partner today, probably. You're, you're going to try, but you're probably not. You're, you're years away at best, right? You've got those nightmare training partners, which are a good thing, but they prepare you to face the nightmare opponent because you're thinking, man, I'm already facing these monsters in the gym. If you're if you're legitimately training with monsters, then you're going to become less afraid of monsters because you're training with monsters and beasts on a daily basis. So that's one way around it. Another way around it is to be like, okay, let's just say that this other monster you're going to face is some special breed of monster. Maybe you're not training at Andre Galvols or Gar Garcia's or Hento Gracie's. Maybe you're training in a smaller school, but you're really good but you don't train with monsters and beasts day in, day out. I know some people that are very good, but they're not always on the mat with killers and monsters and beasts. So what, what's a way to go about it? The other way to go about it is to visualize that worst nightmare and, and, and thinking, okay, what would I have to become? What would I be forced to become to beat that? What would it take? What would it, you know, and so now I'm already working. Now that's for most people, that's probably a years long process of visualization of training. It's not normally a one week thing or a one month thing. It's, it, it's you got to think like an Olympian. Olympians think in four year cycles. They think in perennials. You got to think in year cycle. What would I have to become to beat person X or champion X or this worst nightmare? What would I have to become? Well, I might okay. have to have it. So, one of the best things you can do is imagining this is the nightmare person. What would it take for me to beat them? Like certain measurables, you know, what, what would it take? Would it take a certain wrestling style? Would it take, you know, what would I have to be able to do defensively? What kind of cardio when Larry Owings beat Dan Gable, one of the secret sauces to beating Dan Gable was Larry Owings had phenomenal cardio and he, it's lucky that he did because the third period, in wrestling normally almost always belonged to Dan Gable. Larry, Larry Owings out-gabled Gable in the finals. So where he beat Gable, he was more confident than Gable on that day. He was more confident. He believed more that it was his day. He did. I watched the match many times. Owings, you could tell, was like, I'm not losing today. He was the more confident. Dan Gable, I think, had won 181 in a row going back to high school. The guy hadn't lost in 181. You got Larry Owings, who's had, you know, numerous losses in that same time. But on that day, you could not unconvince Larry Owings. He had trained himself mentally, and, and he knew his cardio was there. He knew he had the scramble ability, and he had psyched Gable out. So he had the confidence. So you've got to think, to beat my nightmare opponent, to beat my Dan Gable, who looks invincible, who looks unbeatable, nobody else in that arena other than Larry Owings' coach, maybe his mama or his dad or his sister or brother, if they were there, I think you'd have been hard-pressed in that arena of 12, 15,000 people to find 10 people who think that Larry Owings was going to win. You know, like, seriously, who would bet on it? Who would bet big? Larry Owings wins today. But he knew. He had a very good blueprint. Now, this is what's interesting. Larry Owings uh oh, you're freezing up on me. Yeah. Uh, you're, yeah, you're getting frozen there. You may have to restart your device because uh, your uh, yeah your your device might be getting a little too overheated. 
You know, but this is, but this, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm going to keep speaking for a minute while you reset that device. This is sure. obvious. This is obviously our our um, Halloween uh, episode because uh, you know we're talking about nightmare on my mat. <laughs> you know, nightmare, nightmare on Jujutsu Street. Uh, so uh, yeah, w- uh, definitely. Um, you know, I as I, said, I I think a wrestler would be scary. I don't know if you can hear me still. Um, but, um, yeah, the monsters I was dealing with, um, that makes me think of this were the guys from Dagestan and Russia who were coming through Henzo's and, you know, normally, you know, when you, when you, you know, uh, bump, slap, go, uh, slap, bump, go, um, you know, for this moment before that you check and see, you know, do you have any injuries? And, Without fail, every time I asked that question to the Russians or the Dagestanis, it was like, I don't care about injuries. We're here to train. Oh, you know, I'm like, come on, <laughs> come on. Um, because then you knew, like, uh, can I, can I, can I second thought this rolling with this partner? Because this guy's a nightmare. I can already tell. Um, and yeah, that's rolling with rolling with my uh, nightmare opponents um and um yeah wrestlers i think wrestlers are uh are terrifying to me it looks like your device reset itself or something um it was starting to get a little messed up there um can you hear me okay yes i can yeah okay yeah it changed i don't could have been a could have just been brief momentary there. Yeah, so so let, let, let me elaborate. So 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 what we need to do is just like with the mountain lion, just like we need to stare down. We need to stare down. It's it's like that with everything in our life, man. Like things oh, yeah. don't things don't go away. First of all, we have to realize, first of all, this is my experience, that 99 out of a hundred fears in your head are not going to come true anyway. Like we have all these fears that are actually not going to come true and they they just wouldn't come true anyway, right? It's not that mm. we're so brave. It's like there's so much illusion wrapped around our fears. There's so much that's just illusion that's just the negative part of us talking that has no basis in reality. It's all in our head. We're inventing it. We're assuming the worst. And the problem is, there's a difference between being aware of the worst that can happen, aware of your we're facing your worst nightmare, and like totally being psyched out about it. There's a difference between being aware of it and, you know, like COVID-19. I watch the news. I stay abreast of everything that's going on. I read some negative news, but I don't spend all day soaking and bathing in that bad news and the sky is falling. I mean, you'd go crazy. I would be super depressed right now if I went and I spent five, six, seven hours a day reading the sky is falling headlines. I limit myself. On the other hand, if I had no awareness of it, then I might not be aware of the things that are going on in the world that could help me, that could help me in my professional life, that could help me in my personal life. There are things to be aware of, right? So it is an awareness of fears and an awareness that a lot of the stuff, it's like, these are just things, you know, 
these are just things that like, why are they even in our head? They have nothing to do with anything. We have irrational, baseless fears. They have no basis, right? A, a, a real fear could be like, okay, you're going to train with this Dagestan guy who is a beast and he's known for slamming people on their head or hard on their shoulder. Well, that's a real, real fear to be aware of in that case, right? You know, like, all right, what do we need to do stance wise and to prevent this person from just, you know, uh, you know, the fear of a mm -hmm. heel hook, right? The, the fear of a heel hook. Like, what could I do, you know, being aware of how they set up the heel hooks, being aware of, um, you know, how do you overcome the fear of a heel hook? Well, you spend quite a bit of a time in heel hooks and, you, and, and you know, in slow motion with your training partners in slow motion. You say, well, if this, then that. If you do this, then that. what should I do here? Which way should I turn? You know, you it's spending time there. That's a rational, that's a rational fear right to to work through okay somebody's afraid of heel hooks and there's a rational way to work around it but but sitting there and and thinking like oh my god my opponent has a really big neck and his forearms are big and he has more cauliflower ear than i do and he looks meaner than me his he probably trained somewhere better than me and he's won 20 in a row so now we're psyched out like that is just that's not productive at all i mean this is a a new day you're a different opponent. And I've seen people that just stylistically gave other people problems and they weren't, you know, NFL is full of that every week. There's teams that shouldn't win that aren't as good as another team and they win. And, and the fight sports have plenty of that. So we're talking about today, right? What's up with today? And all you have to do when you show up on a tournament, you have to believe today is your day. You can't be worried about, well, I just had a 12 week training camp and I got tapped a total of 300 and, eight times in my training camp and this guy looks better than my training partners and this guy won gold at the last tournament so won pans and so and then you're totally like scared by that or you shrink I've, in the face of that, like that you that, just said that something you just said something and i want i'm just going to draw it out you just said something that i think is very very helpful um and that's take a rational approach to your fears um you're you know that's right you, you instead of just living and internalizing and living with all these fears and then developing avoidance mechanisms and avoid avoidance behaviors and, and feeling that fear all the time i guess I, it, it's just kind of common sense but you know uh document those fears uh, number them out and then just start to, uh, just start to work a, through a logical, like a stepwise progression through dealing with each one of those fears so that you kind of work it out of the system. Um, that's how, yeah, you, know, you know, that, that's so simple, but that's actually profound because there's a lot of avoidance. In, in different ways. Um, I know I've avoided the mat in some ways uh, for various reasons. That makes a lot of sense. It looks like your side's frozen on me. The the fear of losing is an... Yeah. You, you, can you see me there? Yeah, it's a yeah, little broken. Yeah, I can see you. Now it's back. Oh, it's a little broken, though. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder if it's uh, it's still, still breaking up. Uh, yeah, it's freezing up on you. Can you hear me now? Okay. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it's freezing up on. Uh, kill the uh, video okay. real quick if you can and just right, do audio. Log, let me log back in. Okay. Now, can you hear me or no? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, looks like he's going to drop out and drop back in. Um, this is actually kind of cool um, for me to, um, you know, share this as a bit of a vulnerability. Um, there are some fears that I've had with the mats um, with in my own training. You know, before it was uh, when I first started, it was really hard for me to get on the mats and, you know, it's getting that, you know, that hot and just being out of breath and, uh, you know, building up all these things about not wanting to train and, you know, avoiding training just because it's hot, it's exhausting. Well, in time, um, you know, I, I got through that process by just going to the mat, getting on the mat and just staying with it and keep working at it and working at it. And it got easier over time. And my body is adapted. Uh, right now, during this pandemic, not as much training. But here's Frank back. Hey, Frank. Hey, sorry. Uh, is, is the audio and video a little better now? Yeah, well, the, audio, the audio is great. Uh, the, the video is a little pixelized. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think with... I don't know which device you're using today, but sometimes it helps to restart it um, before uh, before the podcast if you can, because um, it clears out some of the flash memory um, that's using. Um, but yeah, we've only got like twenty less than twenty minutes left in the down. podcast. Yeah, it's 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 still a little pixelated, but we could let's let's just proceed if we can. If it continues, we'll just we'll, okay. we'll you know we'll just so, we'll just end the podcast so after this. Let discussion. me know if if, uh, if it's breaking up bad on my end. So I was okay. going to say that. Go ahead. I'm listening. Yeah. So what I was going to say is, so the fear, a lot of th there's different fears, right? One is the fear of your nightmare nightmare opponent or opponents. The other is just the fear of losing at all, right? Like with Anderson Silva versus Chael Sonnen, where you know you're, you know you've got more ammunition, you know you've got more skills, you know you're better, but there's still that part of you that's like, oh my gosh, what if I lose this person? Like, what, what, what then? And and what's interesting is the fear of losing is 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 actually a fantastic motivator. I would say that of of the many great athletes that I've studied over the years including like Dan Gable and Kale Sanderson, it's very common in the combat sports or the physical sports to see people that hate losing. There's a lot of fear of losing. Like that's actually a great motivator. But again, our greatest strength can be our greatest weakness. There is a point where the fear of losing is just pure paralysis, right? It just, it, it inhibits, it chokes performance. It hinders performance. And for the vast majority of people, yes, you have the Dan Gables or the Kale Sandersons or the Michael Jordans who hate losing, who are disgusted by it, who want to 
punch a wall. That's literally how they are. You know, Michael Jordan's not going to be a happy camper around his teammates if they just lost, right? He's not. I mean, that's just Kobe Bryant is not, that's not acceptable. Um, and so these are, these are people also that like pressure situations, or when I say pressure, they might not perceive it. They get better when the moment gets bigger, when the stage gets bigger, the Tom Brady's, the Dan Gables, the Samson, they like that. Conor McGregor likes to make the stage bigger because he gets better. And most of his opponents shrink psychologically because their brain starts to play tricks on them, not, not their ability, their brain. And so the fear of losing, we have some part of us has to make peace. Most of us, most of us have to make peace because a lot of the fear that we're carrying, it's not our opponents, it's within. It's our own ego and it's our own fear of losing and what that will mean to how people treat us, what that will mean to us financially, what that will mean to us in terms of, okay, if I'm losing a lot and I'm getting tapped a lot, then I'm going to get hurt a lot and I'm going to be in the hospital and that's expensive and then that's distracting and that sucks. And so it's all of the things that we peel back the layers. You and I have done this before. We say, well, okay, if somebody fears losing, we know our athlete has a fear of losing, but let's peel that back. What's underneath that? Oh, I just hate losing. Well, let's peel back. If you lose, what happens? What's so terrible and nasty if you lose that happens? Well, um, then I'm not the best. Or, well, but, you know, then my opponent can brag. It's a small town, and he can brag to whoever, and I, and I see his friends or whatever. Or, you know, whatever. We imagine that people like us because of our achievements, right? We're scared deep down. A lot of people don't know it, but they're scared that, if I lose my and I keep losing, my lifestyle goes the way people respect me, the seat I get in the restaurant. When I go to the restaurant, they give me the good seat and they comp the meal. Maybe they stop comping the meal when you're when you start losing a lot and you're a has been or whatever. Right. So these are the things deep down. People judge themselves by their trophies, judge themselves by their income. And so the fear is if I'm not winning at that in a big way then I am a loser or I lose all of these things that are important to me. Now, there is a balance there. Some of that can be healthy. As I've said, I can be a fantastic motivator. But a lot of times it winds up being very destructive because it paralyzes people. It, it makes them more tense. It slows down their decision making in the heat of battle. It accelerates their heart rate, which means more adrenal, more cortisol, more strain on the central nervous system which means more, you know, the brain doesn't make those decisions. It doesn't process decisions as well. You get prematurely tired because you have an accelerated heart rate, not because of your opponent, not because of the match a lot of times, but because you have been so stressed out and draining your cortisol and your adrenals that now you were, you had a great camp and you were in fantastic shape. And now you've unnecessarily accelerated your heart rate and you're tired after three minutes of, of intense roll. Because And how much of that was psychological? Not the opponent a lot of times. It's psychological. We came into the match ready for our heart rate to shoot through the roof because we brought all these fears with us and all this unnecessary tension that prematurely fatigues people. So we have to make peace at the end of the day, no matter how great you are. Fear of losing can be a fantastic motivator. I've seen it. But there has to always be that this is not the end of the world. I hate to say that because you need to prepare as if it would be the end of the world. But when you get to fight week, 
when when you if you fear losing that much and it makes you prepare harder then you can fear losing right about to the week up to the week of the fight i told this to a world champion before and he won you know he won a world title with that like you can be as type a as you want and and ultra prepare and be afraid of losing you got to train your mind that when you get there on fight week it's your week you cannot be afraid of that and oh by the way if you did lose i mean you don't want to think about winning and losing that believe it john wooden they won 10 national titles at, NC, at, 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 at UCLA, 10 national titles in college basketball. He said in his pregame speeches, his pep talks to his teams, said, I never mentioned the word winning or losing. I never mentioned it. He talked about execution. He talked about how prepared they were, how great their, tra- their sessions had been. He talked about what they wanted to do. When you are truly focused, we talk about being in the present, you can let the fear of losing bother you during training camp. You can let it motivate you to train harder than your opponents, to know that you're doing extra. They're not training like you're training. That's great. When you get there fight week, you got to throw that out the window. You got to throw the fear of losing. When you get the fight week, it's its own week. And you got to throw that out. You got to believe it's your time. You're the best you've ever been. You're ready to perform. And you've got to focus on being in the moment, doing what you're trained to do, even trusting you'll, you'll make the right improvisational reads and adjustments if you need to. but not dwelling on outcomes at that point. When you get to the week of, it's not a time to dwell on outcomes. It's a time to train yourself to dwell on being in the moment, enjoying it, loving what you're doing, being so grateful that you got there and you get to perform, you get to test drive this body, you get to test yourself against the best in the world. It's really about trusting all the work you've done, trusting your training, and then surrendering and saying, I'm as ready as I could ever be. I feel great. And I can't wait to get out there and be in the moment and enjoy every second of it and focus only on your breath and every second. You only focus, you know, in the jiu-jitsu black belt, you have 600 seconds, okay? You have 600 seconds of your jiu-jitsu black belt. You cannot be out there during some of those seconds. What if I lost? What's that person in the front row doing? Oh my God, my opponent's really strong. He's really this. And wait. Why is the ref doing this? Hey, ref, you messed this up. You can't be doing all these things, right? What you need to worry about is win the grip battle. First, and your effort needs to be, I'm winning the grip battle. He's not getting, or she, they're not getting their grips. I'm getting my grips. Once I get my grip, my grip or my grips, I'm one step ahead of my opponent now. Now, the next move I make, if I if that goes in my favor, I'm now two ahead. Now I'm just worrying about, the moment, the process of get my grip, I'm one step ahead. Get to the next to the next part of your sequence. Now I'm two steps ahead, three steps ahead. And if I just keep staying in the moment and winning the next move, just like a chess game, the outcome becomes inevitable. It becomes inevitable. I don't need to worry about winning and losing. I need to worry about winning every second. If I win every second, the odds of me winning that match go way up. If I'm purely in the moment and I win every second and I'm focused on that, the outcome, the vast majority of times, will take care of itself. I don't need to worry about, well, what if I lose whatever? I don't need to worry about that because that's not the battle. The battle is who's getting their grips. The battle is who's got better cardio. The battle is who wants it more. The battle is who prepared who, who prepared best. The battle is who, who, uh, who wants it more. The battle is who trusts their training who trusts what their coaches said, even though their coaches said it. A lot of people don't trust what their coaches said. No, I don't think that'll work against them. How much do you, 
Those are the real battles. But when you step on the mat, the only battle is 600 seconds away. I'm winning every second. I'm in the moment every second. I'm getting to my grips and I'm going step by step, boom, 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 just like I trained. And that's it. And that's the whole focus. And then you look up in the end, you're like, well, what happened? What'd you do? Uh, I'm not sure. I was just so in the moment. I'll look at the videotape and I'll know later. You know, you're not, you're not watching yourself during the match. If you're watching yourself during the match, there's something wrong. That's like monkey, that's monkey mindedness 101. The, the key is being so at the moment where everything slows down because you're so in the moment and you're, 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 you're fully engaged and everything, but you're, you're fairly relaxed. It's going to help you fight longer. It's going to help you. Um, it's going to help your decision-making. And that's the hallmark. The hallmark a lot of times of greatness is poise. You watch the great champions. They are not flustered and fluttered and overwhelmed. They are remarkably poised during the biggest moments and, and a lot and before the biggest moments. They are poised. Poised is the hallmark. So every now and again, you see a Conor McGregor and a Muhammad Ali. But even them, even if you watch Conor, how relaxed does Conor McGregor look at times when he's not tired? How relaxed does he look? He's floating out there. He's floating. He is a relaxed fighter out there, right? He, he does things, antics that are a method to his madness. But normally when you watch the great champions, they're very poised. They're very efficient in their motion. They don't waste motion. And that is the mark of confidence. They are so confident in what they're doing. They don't need the extra, all the extra nonsense. They don't need to peacock and do all that. Because they are driven by something inner that says, I'm going to get it done. I trust my training. I trust my preparation. I trust my cardio. I trust my decision making. I trust my coaches. I trust my confidence. I trust my ability to rise to the occasion. And so when you, this fear of losing, Noah, what I'm saying is don't throw it away because we need, you know, like I, I told you that story at one time about my wrestling uh, when I was a senior in wrestling and I went out there and I was the number one seed versus the number 16 seed. And I had no, no adrenaline, no feeling in my belly, no nerves. And I was flat and that hurt me. I was lucky to win that match, but so you don't want to just be flat. You got to have a little bit of respect for that opponent and that they're dangerous and that, and that they, they could beat you. And there's got to be that there can be some fear of losing, but when you get their fight week, you cannot be about the fear of losing whatever. It's going to it's going to destroy your it's going to devastate your performance. What is there yeah. is, is a supreme optimism, a supreme optimism of, wow, what a great camp. But this is the best I've ever felt. Even if I didn't have a camp, I always just tell myself, like, well, it's just my time because there's, there's no rhyme or reason. I've said this before. I've had camps that weren't great camps, and I've had very good performances. I've had tournaments where I had phenomenal training camps and got upset. So there's not always a rhyme or reason. When you get to be really experienced, you realize that you you can have a switch. You don't always use it, but you can have a switch. It's like, look, training camp wasn't that great, but guess what? I'm here. I'm in shape. I'm experienced. I'm battle-tested. I, I got great coaches around me. It's my day. It's my time. This is my mat. And the mindset, some people don't have ideal training camps. You see people in the UFC, they get they get a fight on 10 days notice and they win the fight. They got, they, they you know, Nate, Nate Diaz, that first fight with Conor McGregor, 
he got the fight on 10 days notice. He, had, he said he had been like drinking in, in Mexico on the boat, you know? Yeah. But, you know, you, when you're, when you're saying all these things, by the way, I, I, I just got to commend you for, for what you just said. The last 10 minutes or so of you speaking is something that is, that it's beyond platinum and it's, it's beyond a hundred pounds of weight in diamonds what you just said is so powerful frank and i know one day when people are listening to this podcast and they go through this and they're thinking of you know they're thinking about their performance anxiety and the barriers or if they're working on their avoidance journals where they're detailing out their fears that they go back and they listen to what you just said and, and really pay close attention to just how accurate the truth of what you're saying. You know, where if you're feeling anxiety, that's actually, you got to turn that word and relabel it as excitement. You know, and when I, I wish I had that coach for me when I was, when I was in high school band and you're sitting there and on the line, every person you're, you're, they're doing their audition material in in front of everyone, all the band members, you know, you're you're personally exposed to and your anxiety, your nervousness is right there. They can hear it in your in when you play that and you play your instrument. Um and you know, there's like ten guys playing the same piece and you're in front of hundred and fifty people in the band room and they're hearing all this and you know you feel all that that's not nervousness. That's excitement. Mm-hmm. That's excitement because you're always going to be excited. You're going to be up for that performance. You're going to be up that, you know, you're going to be on and to slow it down, to slow it down. And to just to be in the moment, like you said, of, you know, I, I think through what you're saying. And the only thing I can think of before I get on the mat is I can, is the one thing that's connected me from the moment I came out of the womb to my last moment on earth is all my whole lifetime is connected through my heartbeat and my breath from I am. My heart is, it's still beating since I was born and I'm still breathing since I was born. And that's the one thing that connects me through all moments its rate may change, but I still have the breath. Um, well, we're, you know, I hate to say it, but our, um, our hour and a half is already up, but, um, I think what you've done today by sharing our discussion for the last 15, 20 minutes has taken what would be my nightmare scenario for Halloween. And if I if I can put that into practice, it'll turn into a Thanksgiving gratitude. So, um, Frank, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and this experience of having this podcast. Um, you know, um, even though I find your your neon green shirt a bit a bit ghoulish for me, poltergeist. Um, I. I really appreciate uh, these moments with you. 
um, this is re- really good. I brought out my demons or my my monsters today uh, with with uh, what 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 scares me, you know, which is a wrestler on the mat. Hey, but I got to God bless our worst nightmares because they force us to dig deeper and to become better than we otherwise would be if they weren't out there. I mean, if it weren't for the Russian wrestlers, Dan Gable, Kale Sanderson, John Smith, and many others never would have been as good as they were. The Russians, who were the gold standard of wrestling, forced them to say, man, you better you better work harder on solving this problem. The Russians forced them to stay up later, work harder. And so, you know, God bless the people out there that give us a little bit of that they're the mountain lion on the trail for us. I'm like, oh my goodness, the mountain. That's you know, some of us, some people have encountered a mountain lion at tournaments, right? They didn't encounter one on a trail. Mm-hmm. A they've encountered their own version of a mountain lion on, right, on a uh, on a on a tournament, on a mat somewhere, and, yeah. and, and that deer in the headlights moment. And so it's like you just said, wherever you are when you're at that tournament, just feel grateful that every moment in your life led you to this spectacular moment you're about to test drive everything you believe it's your day and just like you said just milk it and soak in the aliveness it's such it's one of the most alive feelings on earth and just like we were saying just always remember prepare and then let go surrender and then just be in the moment all it is all jujitsu is at the end of the day is glorified grip fighting it's glorified grip fighting Mm. Win the grips. The person who is consistently winning the grips is with a 95, 97% probability going to win the match. Wow. When you keep that focus in the trenches on grip fighting, grip fighting, grip for my grips, my grips, no grips for you, no grips for you, my grips, my grips. This is all the my grips show. Welcome to the my grips, all my grips show. Every grip, right? In jiu-jitsu, let's just strip it bare. Let's strip away all layers. If you, if your opponent, if you show me an athlete who's winning all the grips that they want, they're going to be the best ever. Whoever's mm-hmm. just winning the grips like all the time, that's the best ever. I mean, it's going to be that simple because that's the person that's going to get to the one move ahead, two moves ahead, three moves ahead, four moves ahead, five moves ahead. Submission. Mm-hmm. So that's the simplicity we have to get to. We just say, look. I'm just here, baby. I just showed up. I'm in great, great shape. I trust my corner. I trust my team. And I'm just ready to go win some grips. I'm just going to go out there. And all my focus is on relaxing, enjoying this, and winning grips. Popping grips and getting my grips. And when you do that, you'll naturally, you get the grip you want. You'll naturally, oh, this, my throw is there. You'll, you'll get, you'll know what to do because you've trained that. You've trained when I get these grips and he, and they do whatever, I do X. You're already trained to do that. You don't need to think about that. But if you don't get to the grips, you're not going to get into those entries. You're not going to get in those positions, those dominant positions you want. You're not going to. It's 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 a fantasy if we're thinking about, I got to get into my bare and bola, but we're not thinking about the grips that get us there. I mean, we got to sit about, I get to my grips and I have a high probability of getting to the positions I want to be in, and then we can worry about submission. But Perfect. people, we get we get too worried. Final thing, we get too worried about these faraway things instead of what's right in front of us, bro. Go out there and win the damn grips. Just keep busting grips and winning grips. It's that simple. And keep your focus. If there's 600 seconds, I want you to be the best grip getter 
in the world for 600 seconds. That's the challenge. I want you to go out there and be the best you've ever been at winning grips. And when you win the grips, trust your training. Go right. That's it. That's that's it. And then you can't worry about monkey-minded. Well, what if this and the what if game or what if this and outcomes and I'm going to lose my girlfriend if I, you know, whatever. Right? Whatever. Noah, go out with your family. We got to do some family stuff. And it's been a pleasure, my friend. I appreciate um, I appreciate you. Thanks for uh, for joining us on a Sunday. Everybody out there, thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. All right. Keep gripping. Uh, Hi, buddy. This has been uh, Everyman BJJ Podcast. Frank (laughs) Forza, Gripper, uh, Noah. uh, You can find us on on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail at uh, everymanbjj.com, everymanbjj at gmail.com, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks a lot, and I will see you again 4.30 Eastern, 1.30 Pacific, Sundays. Take care. See you, bud. Bye, buddy. Bye. That's it for today's episode of Everyman BJJ. Thanks for listening. Look for new episodes of Everyman BJJ every week, wherever you get your podcast or at everymanbjj.com.